Okay, welcome back to the Breaking Bread Village. Um, today we are going to talk about um, the normalization of violence against women. Um, this one is entitled, um, <clears throat> this one is titled, excuse me, um, what was she wearing, but what was she wearing? That's something that we hear a lot of times when women are victimized, when they're assaulted, people ask the question, but what was she wearing? Um, which places the blame on her. So. Today, we're going to have a conversation about that. Uh, typically, we do have an annual sexual assault awareness um, event, and it was canceled, of course, this year due to uh, the COVID-19, so we were unable to uh, have it, but I still want to have the conversation, so we're going to do that today, and I'm really excited about this. Not that this is a, a, you know, a happy conversation or a joyous conversation, but I'm really happy about being able to have the conversation, bring awareness, and give people some hope. I think that's important and just shed a little bit of light. So I'm going to invite everybody on right now. Um, first, I'm going to invite Miss Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. So Jennifer is a historian, um, so she's going to kind of come from that aspect. Um, she has studied a lot of history. and We're going to talk a little bit about how this has been something that has been normalized since the beginning of time. So we're going to talk about that. Um, let me add Jen on. Hey, Jen. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Awesome. I thank you both for being here. Um, and Jen is a sexual what's what's the actual title i want to make sure i say it right i am a sexual assault specialist and a, and a assistant prosecuting attorney so i i just prosecute sex crimes gotcha gotcha <laughs> and you've been doing this since 1995 uh, yes. that was when you had your first, when you tried your first case. wow wow that's a that's a long time and I, I appreciate that putting that work on because i know even when i used to work with um children some of the stories that you that you hear can be very uh i mean it just it just kind of consumes you so to be doing it for so long i mean it had to be a passion of yours and truly a fight um so i appreciate that let me invite miss bean pay on hello how are you i'm doing good Awesome. So Bimpei, um is a Nigerian American and um, she's going to kind of just talk about some religious and cultural aspects that can contribute to the mindset of how women are the, the problem, so to speak, as opposed to the actual system and the mindset of people victimizing women and, and you know, and not it, it's not our fault. And I think that people have been made to uh, believe that. Um, because of, I mean, since, as I talked about earlier, since the beginning of time, we've been made to believe that, that it's our fault. And I think um, I was even speaking to Jennifer a little earlier before we all got on, um, how sometimes women, you know, we're, we're so much to blame too, as, as uh, blaming the woman as well, you know, especially, you know, if you're very conservative and you dress, you know, with the, you know, pinned up all the way up to your, you know, chin and somebody else dresses a little bit more provocative, quote unquote, or revealing, um, we have a tendency to blame the woman for her, for her abuse that she experienced. So we want to kind of talk about that. So first I'm going to allow Jennifer to kind of talk a little bit about the history and of course we, we know it's been since the beginning of time so this this i mean we would be here for weeks talking about the history of of women being uh, assaulted and victimized violently and um not being really um 
you know, avenged. Uh, but I just want Jennifer to kind of touch base on some some different instances in time to just kind of capture the essence of how this has been something that's been going on for forever. So this is not new that women are being blamed for their own pains. So go ahead, Jennifer, if you want to start there. Sure. Yeah. And right. Like I could talk about this forever, but I'll just do like some snapshots to like walk us through history. Um, a, a historian that specializes in women um, and gender studies pointed out uh, her name's Sharon Block. And she points out that like we've been, there's been sexual assault against women since, and the records of it, since we started keeping records as humans. It's just that prolific and that old. But what we know about a lot of the older sexual assaults are what the men wanted to tell us about it. And what mattered was how it affected the men. So we have to learn to read through all of that to find out what happened for the women. Mm. Um, if you go all the way back to, I mean, you know, we can go back to Livy in the first century and he's writing about the founding of Rome. And it's a celebratory story about how Romulus invited the Sabine tribe to a religious festival. And then he killed all the men, kidnapped the women and they raped them. And then the women decide could, you know, bring about peace by having the Romans babies and founding the new empire. So, I mean, we've been talking about this forever and women have been negotiating their survival forever. Um, we, we have stories from diaries from those who went with Columbus on his voyage and uh, torturing and raping indigenous women as just part of their practice. Um, and then blaming them, calling them harlots um, after, you know, being beaten into submission and raped. Then they were told that they were the harlots for having sex. So um, that's just been part and parcel of our history for so long. And we can carry that, you know, all the way up through you know, in the progressive era in the United States, women were fighting to raise the age of consent from 10 years old to 14. And this was a big, big deal. So a man could do whatever he wanted with a girl as young as 10 years old for a very, very long time. Um, and of course, women who were enslaved were considered property. property. And they could be raped with impunity by their white masters. And in, if anybody else raped those women, it was considered property damage against the mm -hmm. white uh, slaveholder. Wow. So this, is, um, this is a long history and it's a worldwide history. And it's still, you know, we can carry it up to today, um, you know, which Jen can you speak even more about. But, you know, I think about somebody like Brock Turner mm -hmm. and, you know, his uh, sentencing being because what about him? What's going right. to happen to his life? Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that but all of that, when we talk about these these things that are happening today, it's part of a long history that devalues women's place, um, oftentimes considered her property um, and not a full um, autonomous human being. Um, mm. And so we've we've been doing this for a very very long time, which is which is still happening today. I mean, even in regards to like marriage. I mean, when you think about marriage, sometimes some men still in in society still see women as the property of 
of the male, you know, mm-hmm. and um, that he can kind of do whatever he wants to do um, within that marriage. Um, you know, I've, I've spoke with women who have been raped inside their marriages. And, you know, sometimes they have been taught that, well, you know, he's your husband, so he can do what he wants. And that's that's something that we have to stop uh, teaching to our, our girls, to our women, um, and to our boys and our men. We have to start teaching that, you know, we have to show some, I am, a, I am big on accountability and I am big on, um, you know, checking yourself, right? And we have to start um, making people do that a little bit more. So, you talked about all around the world, Beanpay. I want you to kind of tell me just a little bit um, in regards to, because we know that this is not just an American thing. This is globally, right? We've seen, you know, I, I know I've watched videos of women being uh, mutilated in their private areas, you know, so that men can be more satisfied, you know, uh, you know, so this, this whole violence against women has been something that's all over, all over the world. What do you what do you feel in regards to um, the connection between religion, culture, and this 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 uh, epidemic that we have going on in regards to treatment of women when it comes to sexual violence? Mm-hmm. Well, um, just a little bit about me. So I was born and raised in Houston, Texas for the majority of my life. And then I lived in Nigeria for two years when I was a teenager. And, um, and it's interesting because um, in, in that period of, you know, it, it may have changed. I'm not as closely associated with the evangelical church as I was uh, when I grew up. But um, even before I went to Nigeria, the mindset was that you had to dress in order to protect the man from having lustful thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, so we were the garters of men's thoughts and actions. Um, so even as you know, me, the personal experiences I went through, I never felt the bonus to say, "Hey, this happened to me." Because if something happened to you, well, you you caused it. You know, you there was some action you did that brought that type of behavior on. So then, of course, when I went to Nigeria when I was a teenager, um, I would say that mindset was even more intense. Um, and then you bring in all the influences of of culture, where you know Nigeria. Um, Nigerian culture is very patriarchal, um, very you know men first. Women still, still to this day, struggle with you know women's rights much more than women do in the Western world, where it's just seen as you know the, the you know what what were you doing there? You know, um, obviously you were wearing something that you weren't supposed to. Um, you know, I remember hearing about um, the beauty competitions that we were, they were having at universities there, and the, the person I was speaking with, you know, he was saying, oh, those competitions are bad and now I was like I asked why why are they bad oh because you know many of them get raped and I'm thinking okay well that's not so that so so having a, a pageant is is the cause of rape not raping of itself not patriarchal views not um, men thinking that they can just take whatever they want um, so definitely that mindset was was what I was what was implanted into me growing up and it, it took many years to break that and like mm-hmm. I was saying, even um, you know in Nigeria still women still have I mean women's rights is still a huge issue that has not been properly resolved just recently in this past week um, there's a story of um, of a 22 year old college student who went to her church to study because there are no public uh, libraries around where she lives and she was raped and murdered in that church and mm-hmm. uh, I, it's uh, I, I'm, I'm as as a, a lot of things are going on right now, and a lot of people have different opinions. I'm trying to keep a very streamlined of what I take in because some of the comments I'm seeing on Twitter about, you know, well, she shouldn't have. What was she really doing in the church? And well, what was she wearing? 
Um, and then saying, you know, if a, if if a man wants to have sex with you, just just give him sex. Don't fight it. Just, just oh give my him goodness. Sex. Yeah, oh. yeah. So we so there there's still a, a lot of work that needs to be done in in, in in regards to equality. But I'm seeing the overall evangelical church worldwide. I feel I feel here in America, like I said, I'm not as involved as I used to be. But I feel like the that mindset is changing. We are starting to see. Um, a, a mindset change in the evangelical church when it comes to you know how, how women should should dress and um, and whether or not they're the garters of men's thoughts and of their purity. So I, I am seeing that mindset change. And even in Nigeria, I am seeing people speak up and saying this is not right. This should not be tolerated. We need to change the way that you know we we think about uh, sexual assault. We think about women's rights. Right. Wow. What what do you guys think about that, Gina Jennifer? Wow. I mean, it's just mind boggling to me that I mean, just the whole the whole concept of women having to 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 have that burden to to bear that that if he can't control himself, it must be my fault, you know. And I mean, see, I, I just I can't imagine it. I mean, and I I mean, I know it's a mindset that we have here too, of course, but I've never really had that directly impacted, you know, on my life, so to speak. I mean, we've all thought it, but what do you guys think about that? What, what she just shared? Well, you know, I have three daughters and two sons and my daughters have all been dress coded. Mm-hmm. They have been dress coded over and over and over again for wearing nothing different than what the boys wear to school, right. but they're held responsible even here in our public schools in Michigan for right. you know the stretch pants that incite the riot with the boys or the you know crop top that shows a little bit of your belly button. And you know, I have fought for my girls, uh, not surprisingly, but right. for them to, you know, be able to express themselves how they'd like to express themselves the same way that my boys are able to. So there's th- that culture, that cultural piece of it is still very much alive. Very much. Yeah. I fight with with juries every single time I try a case. I start by when during the process of voir dire, I have to educate the jury, let them know that the rape myths that they carry are no longer appropriate, and mm-hmm. you know you you start by laying that down for them so that when they hear when those things start to come out of the defense attorney's mouth or those thoughts start rolling around in the back of the jury room when they're deliberating, they know to shoot them down because we've talked about them already, that they're no longer, they're not correct and they're no longer appropriate. Right, right. Yeah, those stressed out things jumped right into my head too. Um, But if we wanna do a historical example, just of the same types of attitudes, um, we can go back to colonial America. Uh, the proprietary governor of Virginia, let me get his name right, Baron Frederick Calvert, um, was accused of uh, kidnapping and raping a local milliner named Sarah Woodcock. And the jury took one hour to decide um, that Sarah, it was Sarah's fault because she didn't fight hard enough. So she apparently wanted. Um, And that ruins, you know, Sarah's reputation and she takes all the blame. The only long term impact he had was eventually the UK stripped him of his title. So I guess that's something. But um, but yeah, the burden is very often placed on the woman like she should have stopped it. yeah. And she we're fighting hard enough. Right. And it cuts both ways, because if you if you fight really hard, um, you may get killed. 
Right. Right. This right. is this is something that we have been taught. If you if you fight really hard, you may get killed. So we run around thinking that we are in danger if we mm -hmm. fight for our own lives. And right. so just just like you know, you're supposed to relax and take it, right? This is what the myth is. And the myth is it's terrible, but, but it's true. You yeah. Yeah. Back, mm -hmm. If you internalize that myth and then you are in a situation where you're being sexually assaulted and you do um nothing or you freeze because of tonic immobility and the chemical dump in your system drops to the point where you can't do a thing, then you will have the jury judging you for doing nothing. So no matter what you do. And that's yeah. that's why it's so important to what you're doing here tonight and, and having this discussion all throughout the community as often as possible, because we need to continue to educate not just the women, but the men that, um, you know, we are not, um, we are not the bearer of responsibility here. And we, it is not our fault because we decided to go to church or because we decided to go for a walk by ourselves and it was, you know, late. And, and I got to tell you, I've had a million cases and I can tell you a bunch of stories where it did come down to wardrobe, which, you know, the topic of tonight is, you know, what was she wearing? And right. that's asked even now all the time. I have dumped, I've, I had one case where it came down to the underwear that if she wasn't, if she didn't want it, she wouldn't have been wearing that underwear. Oh, right? wow. And wow. so in closing I brought my entire underwear drawer out and I dumped it <laughs> on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, What did they say about me? This is my right. underwear. What right. does that say about me? Right, right. You know, and wow. I made them think about that from, from a different perspective, but it's it's unbelievably complicated to get people to look at it differently than they've been taught. And you have basically five days to try to change their minds about everything. So so how do we fight this? And that's the thing is that it's just, it's so ingrained. And like I said, even in us as women, sometimes we too fault women at times, you know, for what they had on or their their work, you know, what type of work they do, um, you know, especially sometimes um, in the church, you know, I've seen where, you know, a woman gets gets pregnant before, and this is not necessarily with the sexual assault part, but this is just the mindset where a woman gets pregnant. She, of course, shows her pregnancy, right? So, you know, back in the day, you'd have to stand before the church and apologize that you did this great sin. Um, and then, you know, you're paraded around and you can't participate in different functions within the church because you were the sinner, but the male is not held to the same sin. He's able to still do what he wants to do, and, you know, but it's like it was an equal playing ground. Right. I mean, on that on that part of it. So for me, it's just the mindset of it. This this in this ingrained mindset that we have that the women are responsible for. And I'll just say it. Weak men. Like if you're weak, if you're weak and you can't handle yourself, that's not my problem. You know what I mean? And, you know, people can take that how they want, but it's just the truth. I just have always found it very interesting that we are here responsible for somebody else not being able to control themselves. I'm like, you know, you know, especially when you're taught that men are so strong and so, mm -hmm. you know, you know, all these different things that we're taught in regards to, to the male species. And then I'm saying you, you can't control yourself, though. Are you are you that powerless that you can't control your thoughts, your, your body? You know, So I mean, what do you got? How do you guys think we combat? this how do we how do we change the narrative you know I think, we, I think we have to talk about it in terms of that like you're talking about this you know men are perceived as strength strong but it's really about a power dynamic and it mm -hmm. always has been and it's always been about control 
and yes. maintaining control. And it's part and parcel with maintaining patriarchy worldwide. Uh, you know, as Bimpei mentioned when she was talking about evangelicals, but it's not just mm -hmm. evangelicals. And it's, it is part of this power and domination story. And I think that we have to educate from that perspective as well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to start, I mean, to start as young as possible, even with just, um, to start as young as possible and as close as possible. So the men that are closest to you, like for instance, um, with my former roommate, she had a, a four-year-old and a six-year-old boy. And, um, you know, we, we may, and, and I, I was telling her, you know, we have to teach them young that, you know, women are not, you know, they're, they're slaves, women are not, um, uh, we are we're entitled to our own bodily autonomy. Like you, it's not okay if you just want to, you know, even if they're little, there may not be like any any um, viciousness behind it. We have to teach them young that you know you need to have boundaries when it comes to uh, you know everyone's own body and especially with women um, because when they grow up, like for instance, I would say even with hugs, and some people may disagree with me on this, but um, I never. Um, you know, of course, you see little kids, and, and you may know the parents. And you're like, "Oh, give me a hug." And I I don't like when, when parents um try like they're like, "Oh, give her a hug. That's my friend. That's your auntie." But if they don't want to give me a hug, that they're learning how to have you know to set boundaries and say no. Like I don't want to give that person a hug. And then even with little boys too, if if you're telling them, "Oh, give her a hug. Give her a hug," then you're teaching them like, "Oh, well, okay. I'm gonna I have to do something I don't want to do. So that means somebody else can do what they don't want to do." No, that's, that's really a good point. I, I agree with that. And you know, I'm a hugger. Anybody knows me knows I am a hugger. So I will go in yeah. before the person realizes it's happening and I've got you, right? So yeah. I understand that. And I, and I remember when my kids were younger, I would, you know, give, because it was this... Um, idea for me like you know for them to be able to to uh learn how to show love right or show appreciation but as i got older i i understand what you're saying and i got it i'm like oh wow we are we are kind of subconsciously teaching them that you know, we, we can force them into allowing someone to touch them or them to touch someone else against what they feel, right? Yeah. So they don't feel comfortable because I, I believe kids can gauge, you know, the spirit in a person. Oh, yes. oh, yeah. you know, I'm a firm believer in that. And if they feel weird about it, we should we should honor that. But um, we, we don't all the time. And I, so I agree with what you're saying. And I, I, you know, the stuff that I learned now that I know now, of course, I wish I knew when my children were, were younger, cause I would have done things, you know, differently for sure. Um, did you guys have anything to say about that, Jennifer or Jen? Well, I definitely think, you know, I, I go through that with my kids too. Um, and my poor children who are probably watching this right now, I've heard every you know, from the time they were little tiny people, they have, I, I've been on high alert, you know, and mm -hmm. so they, they have heard stories that maybe were not the greatest stories for children to hear, but I've always told them in the context of, you know, how do you, how do you advocate for yourself and others? And how mm -hmm. do you make sure that when, um, you know, something is happening and you know that it's wrong, that you're a person who speaks up? And you know how do you recognize that your own strength in situations where it feels like you're being oppressed. And and I think that they are stronger, having been raised by a mother who you know beats into their head. Um, but I think that that's you know that's what it takes with with just like you said, Bimpe, you have to start at such an early age because then it's it's ingrained in who you are, and it's not something that you have to change your fabric for. You know, right. 
you come around to your own way of thinking. Right, right. Very true. So, Jennifer, I know earlier you were we were kind of discussing some things and I know you spoke about um, kind of Rosa Parks and her her journey. Can you tell me a little bit more about because I found it very interesting because I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of an, an empowering story. I mean, we all know about Rosa Parks sitting on the bus and all of that. But long before that, in the 1940s, Rosa Parks first assignment with the NAACP was actually as a sexual assault investigator. Um, and so she was doing that work out of Montgomery, Alabama, and traveling around Alabama to both protect black men from false accusations um, that would lead to lynchings, but also to try to seek justice for black women who often uh, had no form of justice. Um, it's important to remember that coming from the tradition of slavery, like Jim Crow, you, there was still this stereotype of the Black Jezebel and that she wasn't really rapeable because she was so insatiable anyway that she, was, she always wanted it. So you couldn't really rape her. So this mentality still existed in the Jim Crow South. and. Um, there was a rape that uh, Rosa Parks made famous, um, and some people know Reese Taylor's story mm -hmm. now. I think Oprah um, uh, brought to light that history for a public audience. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, so Rosa Parks goes to meet with Reese Taylor to find out what happens. She was kidnapped and raped by six white men repeatedly on her way home from church. Um, Two jury, white, all white juries refused to indict any of the men, even though they said, yeah, we did it. Um, oh, oh, the okay. sheriff knew um, when Rosa Parks came to interview Reese, um, mm. the sheriff drove around to intimidate her and then finally entered the, the Taylor's home and told her that we don't want troublemakers here. Um, and so she left there and went back to Montgomery and started a national campaign for justice for Reese Taylor um, mm. and worked to publicize this. Unfortunately, she never was able to truly, you know, achieve justice for Reese, mm -hmm. but um, I do think it's this empowering story that this was, you know, a woman standing up for a woman and this led to a very active and important human rights activism on behalf of, you know, Rosa Parks that we know today. She's so much more interesting and complicated than just sitting down on a bus. Yes. No, I, I appreciate you saying that because I did not know that she um, helped kind of spearhead that. That's really interesting. Though. So I appreciate that because she she was way more than just that. And I think that she has been kind of minimized to that. So, wow. Um, so. Jen, I want you to tell me a little bit about some of, and again, I know that you are, you know, a prosecuting attorney, so you can't really go into a lot of detail on some things, but just share, you know, maybe a story or so that really sticks out with to you that really kind of motivated you to keep going. You know, we, we all have, whenever you're out there doing the work, I call it, whenever you're out there doing the work, um, there's always a story that, that motivates you to keep going. You always, you know, I know we're working with children. There's some stories that I'm just like, this is why I do it. This is why I have to keep doing it. So right. give me a story that may stick out to you that you feel that strongly about, you know. Well, I had, I, I have had so many cases where the, 
the victim, I watch the victims become survivors and then become advocates for other women. And I think those are always the cases that really touch your heart because that's how I came into this too. I was, I was a victim and then I was an advocate and then I was a lawyer and then I was a prosecutor of, of sex crimes. And I think that oftentimes that's the path that people find into sex crimes work because they have been victimized and they look for a path that helps them treat others the way that they weren't treated. I mean, that's certainly what happened for me that I, you know, I sat across from an officer um, and I told my story and I did the best I could to give as much detail as I could. And I still had my clothes. I, you know, I had, I had, I had all these things, you know, like I have everything, this is what you need. Right. Right. And he sat down and he, he kind of threw a notebook across the table at me and he said, uh, now, what the fuck happens? I don't know if I can say that on your show. And it was hostile. It was, yeah. it was hostile. And right. so he, I, I, I was taken aback and he was a very big man. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was initially I was taken aback just by the way that he is, was physically intimidating me. Right, right, posturing, yeah. And I'm still trying to tell my story as best as I can. And I get to the end of it and he says, um, well, well, this can go one or two ways. You know, either we can uh, we can go and we can interview him and we can ruin his life. Or you know, we can just file this away and if he ever does it again, then, you know, you'll be a witness for the next person. Oh my goodness. And um, I so I said, okay, file it away because I had been beaten up for an hour and a half and not believed for an hour and a half. And, um, you know, I'd had enough, but I, yeah. oh. I said, and it changed my path completely. Hmm. I, I, I was determined that no one would ever, you know, tr do it that way again, that I would train officers, that I would learn every victim centered trauma informed approach that I possibly could, that I would bring those into the courtroom, I would bring it into jury selection, and everything I did would have an emphasis on uh, on that, that exact thing, that we're victim centered, we're trauma informed, and we're defendant focused in terms of our prosecutions. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what really, what really stood out to me with that, Gina, too, is how um, the the burden was put on you that you that you were going to ruin his life, right? Based on his choices and his actions. Um, that says so much. That says a lot. And I was eighteen years old, and yeah. I lived yeah. a very sheltered little life in Livonia. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so I didn't want to ruin anybody's life. Right. Well, who would? It's like, oh my goodness! And then you, yeah. you do, you start to feel shame. You start to question yourself. You start to question sometimes even the the um the the, the accounts of what happened. You start to question so much because it's like, well, did it really happen like that? Did I kind of, you know, I, I know for myself, I, I will share this story. Um, when I was probably. I don't know, 14. Um, so I'm going to tell if my mother is listening. This is one of my stories that she told me that I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> to she, she doesn't want to hear any things that I snuck and did uh, when I was young. <laughs> take, that, take that to the grave. But when I was, you know, about 14 years old, I snuck a boy in the house. You know, you know, you sneak a boy in the house and mom was out to work. Um, I was one of those latchkey kids, you know, so mom is working, single parent. I'm at home. Snuck a boy in the house and, you know, we wanted to make out, right? You know, you do a little kissing and that, you know, you know, kind of like 
pushing up against each other, but that's as far as it was, you know, that was what we kind of discussed and, and planned out. And I remember, you know, we, we were there and he started to get a lot more aggressive and a lot more, um, you know, kind of demanding and started to do things that I did not want him to do. And I remember having so much fear because I literally could not overpower him. Right. He was, he was, he was stronger than me. And then when you couple fear with it, right then that just becomes even more um demobilizing so i'm you know and at that moment i'm like you know you're thinking kind of like this is happening this is happening right now and and what am i to do nobody was there to help me right hear me scream you know and eventually my fighting and kind of you know screaming a bit caused him to to second guess and he left but i always hold on to that so i never experienced an actual um invasion so to speak of my body but I remember being in that situation and saying, you know, someone could easily say, well, you invited him in the house, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you guys discussed, you know, making out, so to speak, you know? Um, so putting that blame on you. And I remember being scared about that and thinking, wow, I wonder if that went to where he was trying to get it to go. Um, I would be at fault. That, that was my fear, right? Because I was, first of all, doing something that I wasn't supposed to do, being sneaky, trying to be too grown. And, um, you know, also I invited him in. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we hear that all the time where women are kind of um, blamed for even if they initiate or or have a discussion with the man. So um, and, you know, also, Jan, I want to tell you, thank you for sharing that story. You know, sometimes stories are not easy to share, but I think that um, if people are comfortable, the more transparent that we are can help somebody else. Right. You know, kind of um, help out with something that they may be going through in their life. Um, So let's, I want to talk a little bit more about the religious aspect and the cultural aspect um, and just how that also adds so much thoughts, you know, into our brain um, of our responsibility as women, right? And how we are supposed to act as a woman to not allow certain things to happen in our life. Um, You know, being paid, I know you said, you know, you were, you know, in the evangelical church and, um, you know, witnessed a lot of things. And even in regards to what you heard about the young lady that just got victimized, that was what, like two weeks ago? Am I correct? A week ago. About a week ago, okay. You know, and even the responses right now in 2020 that people respond and say, you know, what did she have on? Or, you know, why was she really at church? I mean, it's like, well, she probably was at church. Is that the reason why y'all was at church? You know, <laughs> it's like this, these questions that people come up with. What, what, how do you, how do you think that we could, um, change this within the church or any of you guys like how do how can we change this this mindset because even when you read the religious books right i've read all of them you read them women are always held at such a different standard throughout the books so yes. it's, it's study that a woman's place is here a man's place is there and they really shouldn't intertwine on some levels right mm-hmm. so how how can we change that that mindset if it's if it's being ingrained in the the very books that people study right i mean like how how do we how do we do that yeah i I just (laughs) yeah Yeah. well i i can't speak for other religions but i will say in regards to christianity or you know Mm -hmm. or some people call them being no jesus followers one thing that um that i feel that could really help people is if they look at the history of how holy books were put put together um, and we can go into debates about how inspired they were and how convoluted they were. But um, if you go into history, for instance, just in, in Christianity, the female disciples were taken out of the text. 
So, you know, automatically when you have a, a whole holy book that's, um, you know, I, like even in the book of Proverbs where it says, you know, a, a, don't be foolish like a woman or, or comparing stupidity to women or like, a, a you know, being a, a woman to being a, a, a trap or whatever to, to understand that, you know, what they were speaking from their perspective in a patriarchal society, you know, years and years and years ago. And right, right. So, um, go into the history of, okay, who are these women that were leaders, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament? I mean, who are these leaders that followed around Jesus and why were their books taken out and what's the history behind that? Um, and then elevating that that place of women within the religion, within you know the spiritual walk, I think is could be really, really helpful. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, I can dig that. I, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Process. Yeah, go ahead, Jan, please. Yeah. How, how do you do that though when the men write the book? Yeah, well, see, that's the thing, you know, like the, the for instance, the, the Bible that, that the canonized Bible that we know that that most people know right now, you know, mm -hmm. obviously that was put together by the, you know, the, um, by the Council of Cornelius years and years ago, but a lot of people are starting to research. Okay, wow, how was that put together? And they're starting to see. Oh, wait, there were books that were whole books that were written by women that were taken out. And of course, there are going to be people that say, well, they were taken out for a reason, so that that can't be for God. But you know, he who has the ear will hear that. Okay, wait a second. There seems to be more to the story than what we were presented with. And mm -hmm. even if they don't want to explore those other books, but to understand that, okay, this, these, these uh, texts were written, they, they were written through men who had their own patriarchal views and li who lived in a society where women were not valued. So how do we, you know, we need to learn how to reframe that, you know, in a, a fair sense and to remember that we're all children of God, that we are created equal. Um, just like, for instance, what we're, we're saying right now with, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and that whole movement that's going on also as women and men that there, no, there is not this, this so-called hierarchy that you, you believe or that you want to believe. And if you want to follow that pattern, fine, but do it in a way where it's, it's not where it's permissible for men to victimize women. Um, yeah. So, and, and it's a journey because some people, they, they, they don't want to hear that. They, um, they feel that it's only blasphemy if you say something like that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's definitely a journey. Yes, I've, I've definitely been accused of that. Go ahead, Jennifer. No, please. No, no. Um, I was just going to say there are, you know, there there's a new um, sense in some uh, religious traditions. And I can speak, you know, from the perspective of Christianity in that, you know, there are denominations that are beginning to to reframe, yeah. to look through the right. scripture and actually realize um, how important women are throughout. So it seems like even though men did write the books, I saw that because men wrote the books, yep. Uh, however, you know, if you're a person of faith, then I would say you would see that God kept having a different plan, right? Like he keeps putting these women in there while yeah. they're trying to be like, no. And, yeah. you know, I like to, I like to point out, I, I've heard um, several people in recent years pointing out, you know, the first apostles were women and they were the only ones there at the tomb, right? So, but even... Even some investigation into these texts and how, and you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was kind of misogynistic. Yeah. However, he still goes to Philippi and has to uphold Lydia as a leader of the yeah. church. Mm -hmm. um, and so these things get downplayed on Sunday mornings. And maybe yeah. that's a way forward is to start saying, no, 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 I want some preaching on those texts too. Is change change the conversation, change the conversation. Um, because I, I know, you know, and so I know I spoke about, you know, even with women getting pregnant at early, you know, ages and having to have such a um 
a shameful walk that they take, you know, within the church. And I and I just want to uh, just put this out there too. That this is not bashing religion or bashing different people's uh, religions at all. This is just being honest and transparent because it's it's a real and and I know for myself that there is um a burden that comes along with that when you when you are in a religious walk on a on a religious walk that you feel so accountable um for the things that you do you know you feel like you're you're the reason why because this stuff is put into your brain and so I like that we're talking about it and I think it's important um and again you know I don't need anybody you know getting upset about me talking about this but I'm a very transparent person and I lived it. I remember being pregnant at 16. I remember that being pregnant in the church at 16. And I remember um, not wanting to tell anybody because I was so afraid because um, I wasn't married, of course. So, I, you know, having this 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 mindset put, you know, that, that has been put into your brain since you were little. So I was afraid. And I remember when um, people some people found out, you know, I was taking off the, the children's usher board and out the choir. And at that time, those were things that were really dear to me. Right. I was really attached to that because growing up in, in my household, we went to church all the time. Like, you know, I don't know if you guys know Southern, but, but I mean, you go all the time. You are at church all the time. So that was like a piece of my fabric. I mean, that was me. So um, that's how I identified when I was younger. So when, when that's all you know, and then they just strip it away, right? Because of a choice that you made, you know, um, it, it's damaging. People don't understand that it's very damaging. You get taken off of things and people start to whisper around. And you're a child, right? I was still 16, you know? So I just remember that being so hurtful. And I remember that being one of the, the, the first hurts I've ever experienced in my life was because of this this type of, um, uh, you know, mindset that we're talking about right now. So I think it's important for people to talk about it. So if people get offended, I apologize that you are offended, but this is what we're going to talk about today because I think it's important because we need to help um, change the narrative and the conversation. So, um, Jen, did you have more to Jennifer, I mean, did you have more to say? I thought you were, did you have more to say on that? I'm sorry. No, I mean, I think that, I, I mean, we can talk, we could talk about how, you know, these purity cultures within religious traditions, you know, have a very negative um, impact. It has a, a deep impact on reporting what happens to you. And, you know, I think it's become quite clear the depth and breadth of the Catholic Church um, issue with molesting boys and mm -hmm. that has become a, an extremely um, important conversation and I don't think we often talk very much about the fact that men and boys do suffer um, yeah. sexual assault as well as women um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because but again it's usually about something related to power mm -hmm. and and I think that you know sadly and I don't have um, I don't have the info at my fingertips but if a couple sure. of years back there was reporting um that evangelical churches uh, and i want to say it was part of the baptist tradition um and i'm sorry if i'm calling out the wrong tradition um but there was just as much of a prolification of sexual assault of young women and they were doing the same thing the catholic church was doing was knowing that it was happening and then moving um the pastor pastors to other churches and so they were not held accountable but nobody knows this story like we know about the catholic uh situation and we don't really know about this 
um, evangelical situation in America. And, and I can't help but say, is it because we value the lives of those young men and the trauma they suffered more than we value the the lives of the women and um, and empathize with the trauma that the women suffered. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. And this goes way across religion, you know, of course, because I brought up religion. But I mean, this is in a lot of cultures, a lot of um, families, a lot of. Yeah, I mean, people all the time um, where people are victimized sexually. Um, and, and again, it goes back to what you said, Jennifer, it's about power. It's about power. And I'm glad that you mentioned about, you know, the boys, because I did try to get, uh, you know, I, every time I do these type of discussion or have these type of discussions, I ask a, a male to come on and it's so hard and, and I get it. So I'm not I'm not saying that in negative. I'm just saying observation that it is very hard to get men to speak on it because they have been plagued with such a, a responsibility of being these tough, you know, strong, whatever. And you know, so if something like that is to happen to them, they can't talk about it because it looks look weak or they look, you know, not manly enough or, or whatever. All the stuff that we that we pass down to people. So. Um, I really think it is important to, to highlight that men and boys experience this quite often as well. Um, and, and maybe, Jen, maybe you could talk about that. I mean, being a prosecutor um, and, and, you know, sex crimes, do you see a lot of men that come forward and, and say that they too have been, you know, assaulted? We see more and more. Um, when I first started prosecuting cases in the uh, mid 90s, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm just rolling through my cases in my head and it, and it yeah. takes probably four or five years before I even see one male oh, victim. Yeah. Um, but right now on my caseload, I have 10 or 15. Um, okay. So there people, I think that, you know, the Me Too movement actually buoyed everyone, which is mm. beautiful. I mean, I think people yeah. began to um, feel comfortable talking about their own story. And yeah. it's been helpful in many ways. It's been helpful because, you know, People do speak. People do come forward. On the other hand, there's been a huge backlash for, um, you know, and I said, I remember talking to one of my my closest colleagues when Me Too first happened. And she said to me, Jen, do you think this is going to help us or hurt us? Mm-hmm. And we both agreed. We're going to get a rush of people who report, which is so, so important. But we're also going to get a huge just door slamming in our face of you're tired of hearing your stories. You know, right. Right. We got to it was where men were in power. Mm-hmm. And you didn't talk about the stuff. Mm-hmm. 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 So, so, okay. So, so now you are seeing more of me come forward. Is it, um, and, and I guess I want to know, like, is it more grown men? Is it boys? Is it, um, you know, or like, you know, families bringing their right. boys in of being violated or is it more so men? What I see more than anything else with, with crimes against men or boys is that same thing we see with women that we see, you know, years of delay in reporting mm-hmm. and years of self-blame and years of um, not reaching out for the help that you need. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that troop leader or that church leader or that teacher or that person who had access to you for whatever reason, the uncle or the long-term, you know, stepdad or whoever, right. um, you know, and they don't talk about it because, really for many years, no one talked about anything about right. these things, you know, but they're coming forward now. And, and so a lot of my cases that I have right now that are active happened a long time ago. Um, but the door has been open to prosecute those older cases. And mm-hmm. we, 
we take them very seriously. We even even if they happen a long time ago, as long as the statute of limitations hasn't run, we'll we'll see if we can't get that together and, and try it. So, and, and I know um, for Jen and Jennifer, I know you guys as being the historian and then being the lawyer, um, we we see that this happens quite a bit within families and even being paid, as you talked about, you know, within, within the cultural aspect of it, we see it a lot within families. How can we help girls and boys to, to, to come forward, to speak up within when it's in the family. Cause you know, I think about even when you talked about being paid in regards to the hugs and forcing that hug or, you know, go over and kiss auntie. You know, we, we, I, I know growing up in my, you know, it was like this where you, you are forced to kind of embrace a person or, you know, sit next to a person. And I just think about how many people have been, you know, put in situations where they weren't comfortable as children, but we don't we don't see it because that's just Auntie you know Carol or that's just Uncle Bob I, Uncle Bob I don't know why well Uncle Bob you know and Uncle Bob is you know Uncle Bob to us but Uncle Bob has repeatedly maybe touched his child or you know did some inappropriate things to make them feel uncomfortable how can we combat this how can we how can we change this because you know within the families is is so. You know, in in the Facebook, we we won't talk about it in families, right? We won't we won't address it. We won't you know acknowledge it. Sometimes, um, what can we do? You know, sometimes I feel so helpless. <laughs> well, and I think that I think from my perspective of you know dealing with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of victims, they all want the same thing. They they want somebody to listen to them, to believe mm-hmm. them, and to help them. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so that's really all it takes is listen you know, make yourself a person. I mean, I can't imagine that you wouldn't be a person who people would approach, you know, mm-hmm. um, make yourself available to people because they, they yeah. probably can't tell that story at home, but right. they'll, they'll try to find a safe place to tell it. And it's a, yeah. if it's a teacher or a Sunday school teacher or just a, another friend, there's, there's a safe space coming that will help them to, to say the words. And then what you have to do as a person who hears these words, and, and I hear them all the time, but you know, those who don't, you have to be the person who says, thank you for telling me that. Thank you yeah. for sharing that with me. Yeah. How can I help you? Right, right. Let them have control over their narrative. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and it's all about, you know, the, one of the most important questions I ever learned to ask was help me understand, you know, and then X, Y, or Z, you know, help right. me understand that. Help yeah. me understand that. Um, because people will keep talking in their own words and in their own ways yeah. if you don't inject yourself in the narrative. That's true. Help me understand how I can help you. Help me understand what happened to you. Help me understand what you were feeling. I yeah, I get that totally. Um, and and make them like you said, feel comfortable to share it with you. And um, thankfully, I've I've always had good relationships with people where they did feel comfortable sharing. Um, you know, and I, and and with that, I don't mind sharing my own story, so they can feel like you know you are not alone. I, I've had things happen to me, um, in different um situations. So Jennifer, what do, what do you feel we can do? I mean, what you know, it's just as as you studied, I mean, this happened since the beginning of time, and I think things are changing. They are changing, but we still have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, I think that when we're teaching, I think we need to take more care in introducing these stories so mm-hmm. that we start to normalize having the conversations yeah. and and that it is part of our history. And that can be empowering for some to hear that they're not... Um, they're not alone. They're part of a bigger human story. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that it can be important for us all to realize the, um, the use of sexual assault and rape throughout history as a means of control. And 
and we don't and it's one thing to just say that and like take it in but i think when you hear the stories and you hear how it's been something through time i know aaron you and i talked before about like the connection between a rape and war and yeah. and we when we teach wars in schools we never mention that part and i think that that's something that needs to happen i mean we i mean there's a deep connection between rape and genocide when we look yeah. at something like the holocaust or rwanda mm -hmm. or even in the the japanese invasion of china and occupation of china during um world war ii which actually began in 1932 and even more like i mean i'm just going to share one story with you because no, it's so devastating and people don't know this Mm -hmm. But in the for December thirteenth, nineteen thirty-seven, Japanese began a six-week-long massacre uh, mm. that destroyed the Chinese city of Nanking. Mm. Along the way, the soldiers raped an estimated twenty to eighty thousand Chinese women. Mm. Wow! The world was outraged, mm -hmm. and the Emperor Hirohito's response was to institute more comfort stations, which were euphemistic brothels. Uh, um, and those were, um, they were kidnapping women from Korea mm. and forcing them into a sexual slavery. And those women, they were called comfort women. Mm -hmm. They're 90% of the Korean women who were kidnapped and forced into sexual slavery who were so brutalized, 90% didn't survive their treatment. Mm. Oh, gracious. The ones that did survive and did manage to return to Korea were so ostracized by the community that many of them committed suicide. Oh, wow. So the story mm. of the comfort women is still, um, it still causes deep tension between Korea and Japan, um, so much so that a few years back when San Francisco erected a memorial for the comfort women, it almost caused an international incident. Because, oh, wow. Um, so these stories, they're not just stories from the past. They still deeply impact who we are today. Yes. And, Every, you know, there's not really a war that there's not also a rape story. Right. And I think that we have to start being honest about what war actually looks like. Um, yes. We have to be honest about what slavery actually looked like. We don't need to still ha tell happy stories about Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson. He raped her. Exactly. Like she had his kids because he raped her. It doesn't mean that the words he wrote in the declaration are not great words. They are great. That's cool. But he still was a rapist and we right. shouldn't separate those things. So right. I don't want to ramble on too long, but I do. I just no, I appreciate it. We have to confront the hard truths of our past and and normalize talking about what really happened and how that was a tool of domination. Yes, yes. No, I appreciate that. And that goes back to the, the, the transparency. And that's the only way for us to be accountable for our actions today. And what we teach today is to be honest of what was taught before, you know, and what happened before. That's why I appreciate you for sharing that. Um, B-Pay, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, when it comes to regards of abuse that happens within family units, that's a tricky one. I'm sure Jen can testify to that. It's a very tricky yeah. one. And then on top of that, if it happens within a church, which is also sort of like a family, because um, I've heard horrible, 
horror stories about women coming forward towards um, someone in their family or someone in their family who happens to be a pastor or a pastor and just being um, ostracized by their family. Um, so it's important to know that, let those people know that they're not alone and that they can. there is a, a family outside waiting for them that will live right. that will take care of them. Um, because it, it's it's hard. It's very difficult when everyone wants to, you know, protect, you know, Uncle Bob or out, out to Sally or Pastor right. Eric, you know? or Pastor Bob. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. But just to let the um, to have the resources in place to let them know you are not alone and there is family outside of this toxic um, unit or organization that you've been a part of. Right, right. And doesn't that, it always strikes me, you know, given that we know what women go through when they come forward, and men too, given that right. we know there's, they're ostracized from family and friends, if they're reporting within their church, they're going to lose their church family, they're going to lose yes. you know, all kinds of support that they have on a, on a regular basis. Given that that is how it is, even now in 2020, right? doesn't right. that tell you that they're not lying? Right, right, right. <laughs> It's like a magical thing to think about, but you know, if all that you have to overcome that mountain you have to climb just to say these words that this is what happened to me and then have an attorney stand next to you and go through a preliminary examination and go through a trial and your story has to be exactly the same or else you're lying, you know, all right. the things you go through, you know, it's every time, it, by the time I'm standing in trial, you know, I'm not standing next to people who aren't telling me the truth. Right, right. And it's gotta be exhausting. I mean, it just 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 exhausting, heartbreaking. Um, so to have to prove that a person and, and it's the way they make her prove it. It's the way they make you prove it for her. Um, it's so um despicable, so horrible, so so uh right. that's the way they, they, they make her out to be just so criminal and so gross. And so I mean it's just it just breaks my heart. And we have someone here who um spoke love. She said, you know, there's a lot of women like herself that haven't found anybody to talk to, you know, and you just kind of learn to live through it. And I think that's that's a, probably a lot of people echo that same uh, sentiment that, you know, they just had to kind of deal with it because especially if it's, and I'm not saying her, I'm saying in general, if it's within the family dynamics or if it's, you know, somebody that lives down the street that everybody, you know, cause I know people who have taken advantage of, of, of young people who were pillars in the community. You know, if you, if you were to say that this person did that, they will say, Oh my goodness, not him. Yeah, you know, and especially when we talk about within um, different cultural aspects or religious aspects, like you said, it goes back to that whole burden of, well, I don't want to make the, the pastor look bad. I don't want to make this person look bad. And so you have this, 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 this just this heavy burden that we should not put on um, the, the person that has been abused and that has been victimized. So, you know, I appreciate love for saying that, too, because it's, it's important. You know, people just have to like people just live through it. And they shouldn't have to feel that way that they can't talk to somebody or go to somebody to get help and heal, you know, because sometimes you don't fully heal. You just kind of cope. Right. You know? um, and, and we need to allow people to be able to heal from right. that. So. You know, I think that there's another piece that we haven't addressed yet that we should. Um, yeah. And that is that, especially within families, that there's an economic piece to it, too, that if you're if this person is your sole support for your children or if this person is your um, sole support for yourself or you have no money in your own name and no credit card in your own name and and know nothing in your own name because you're in a power and control 
relationship to begin with, um, yeah. you're much more likely to just find your way through it than you are to leave. Yeah. Same, and that happens with domestic violence, but it, it happens with sexual assault as well. The people who carry that burden in, in the most stunning way are the children. You know, yeah. when, when a child is being abused, they know, they take full responsibility for the, the way that their reporting will blow their family up. And so many children don't say a word, but the ones who do, more often than, than I can even count, do it because they were abused for a number of years, but there's a younger sibling. Yes. And, and that abuser is now starting to look at that younger sibling the way that they looked at them. And so even though they couldn't stand up for themselves yes. and blow up their family, they'll blow it up to save the other one. Yeah, wow. And, and it's, that is just heartbreaking. And I see it several times a year. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure that that is heartbreaking. It's it's so sad. But you know, and, and you're you're speaking to that power, that that resilience that comes through and says, you know what? I couldn't save myself, but I'm not gonna let you do it and destroy it because they know what it feels like. They know that that pain. They know that trauma. Um, right. And wow, it's just it's just so much. It's such a heavy topic, but it's such a necessary topic. It's so necessary to talk about it because again, people need those outlets. People need to know that. People believe them, that people are there, that we are a community within ourselves of people who have either, you know, experienced it or sat beside someone else who has experienced it and, and watched them cry and talk them through it. We all are in this together. We have to really help each other out because it's just, you know, for me, it's hard when I see women. But when I see a child, you know, who has been broken, literally broken um, because they have been victimized that way. It's just the feeling I have is just I, I can't even describe it because I have rage. I have anger. I have just just sadness. Um, and then I have, OK, what can I do for this person? And, and again, Jen, like you said, you know, when it comes to the economic part of it, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot to that when it's, especially if their their abuser is saying you better not say nothing or I'm going to kick you, you know, your, your mom and you, you guys out. You know, you can't live here with me anymore if you say something or I'm going to hurt your mother or, you know, or, or vice versa. I mean, women do it, too. So I'm not I'm not just putting this on the men. I'm just saying that, you know, a lot of instances that I've talked to people about, it's been a lot of women, you know, who were afraid to, to leave. And some of the women, Jen, I'm sure you can you can attest to this. You know, sometimes the, the mothers know that they're. The father is doing it to the child or the uncle is doing it to the child, but they're afraid too, you know, because they get threatened or they're afraid, they, you know, they, they, they can't take care of themselves. So they know that's their only source of income. So what will I do? You know? Right. And there, and, and I've seen mothers who basically, you know, made the choice to sort of sacrifice the one child that was being assaulted because the other kids needed the money and, and the economic support and, you know, the guy to go with them to baseball practice. And, you know, it was, I've seen those choices. And I mean, we, we all make horrible, difficult choices every day. And mm -hmm. I, I think the most important thing that we as a community can do is just to not be judgmental, you know, yes. and I try to train my juries from the beginning of that too, that, you know, you're not here to judge the victim. Right. You know? or her actions or what she did or didn't do or what her mother did or didn't do or what her father did or didn't do or what her best friend knew but didn't tell. You know, that's that's not what we're judging here. Right. And those are the facts of the case and we'll tell you about those, but we're judging what he did. You know, let's keep it over here where it belongs. Exactly. 
It's just so sad that we still have to do that. I mean, Jennifer, I know you spoke earlier about how, you know, the women were considered property or, you know, the, the way, you know, the property was damaged. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. like. You know, yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, well, for the first time, uh, rape was actually considered ever a crime against a woman as a person. Not until the 12th century. Um, up until then, it was always a property crime against the male head figure in her life, her father or her husband. But that you could carry, get some sheep or there was a calculation right. about like the yeah. agricultural goods you were going to get for that. Um, and it carried, but the, that legacy carried through, even though we started having laws and prosecution that. Um, treated it as a crime against the woman, there was still a lot of sense of that connection to this woman not being fully autonomous to herself. And the damaged person was her husband or her father or some, you know, that male figure in her life, not her, her herself. So in that sense, we've come a long way in um, looking at the woman and her trauma and who she is and what she needs. And like we were saying, we're not there yet. We're not doing the best job yet, but it's better. We come farther than you're worth yeah. your goats and a sheep, you know? Yeah, right. so. Oh my goodness. It's like you, you, you almost have to laugh to keep from crying because it's just, it's, it's astonishing that you even have to say this, that we even have to have this conversation. You know, I just think back, you know, when, when I, I know I spoke on this a little bit earlier, but just with like the female mutilation, you know, that happens to their, you know, their private area, you know, and, you know, and then the idea of, you know, in some cultures where, you know, the man will have sex with the woman, you know, the night of their, their wedding, and if she doesn't bleed properly or if something, you know, then she's not worthy of him and she can be, you know, kind of, in some cultures she's killed, you know, she loses her life because her blood didn't flow out the, the right way or, the, you know, she, you know, and I just think about, you know, I, I watched a documentary some years ago when they do the female mutilation and, you know, how they, they cut parts and take things out and then they sew back up. So it's this small little hole, just enough for urine to come out, you know? And then when he's ready, you know, when she gets married or, you know, what have you, then he's able to just, you know, penetrate that and the pain that must go along with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, as women, we know the, 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 the pain that can go along with just, you know, being deflowered in, in normal, you know, sexual activities, but let alone to be your your private areas to be manipulated um, and then torn into and then, you know, and, hopes, and, and the stress that could be with that, you know, that hopefully it bleeds right or hopefully he feels like, you know, he penetrated properly to, to you know, feel like a man or I can lose my life. I mean, you know, it's it's just it's just astonishing that this is still a conversation in some cultures and some um you know some parts of the world. So I just I just I, I really thank you guys. Um, I know we've gone over time, um, but this is such a big topic for me, and it's and I'm I'm so passionate about it. So I appreciate you guys for taking the time um, to you know have this conversation because I, I really want people to know whoever's listening out there and whoever will listen, you know that. Talk to somebody if you need to, whoever, I don't care if it's the little lady that helps you the look, you know, cross the street or what, what have you, or somebody talk to whoever you feel safe talking to, because this is important. 
and um, it, it helps. We, we need to help change the narrative. So you guys are doing that. I appreciate Jen, the work that you're doing in the court system to, to assist with families, women, men, children um, to, to get their voices heard because it's important. They need that advocate. They need someone to do that. Um, Jennifer, you know, the studies that you do to be able to, you know, help bring awareness because it's things that you just taught me this evening that I didn't know. Um, so I, I appreciate that. Being paid, you know, your experience and sharing your experiences is so important because I think we need to be more transparent with each other, more open with each other, especially as women, you know, and not be so judgmental of each other for what yeah. has been inflicted upon us. <laughs> we have to stop doing that, you know. So that's so much. I, I just want, you know, if you like to just to say some parting words, so to speak, um, in regards to this topic, um, Jennifer, I'm going to let you go first. Do you have anything that you want to share before we end? I would just say we have to continue to advocate that we have to tell the hard parts of our history as much as we like celebrating the good parts. Um, I think that um, I want to, it's, it's hard. It's hard to look back through history and see that we're still having some of the same problems, but I do want to just leave an empowering note of we are doing better. We are advocating more for ourselves and for each other and it is changing and there yeah. is a difference that we can see over time. A glimmer, a glimmer of hope. <laughs> Thank you for that. Jen, did you have anything that you wanted to kind of leave us, uh, you know, with? Well, I, I would just reiterate that what people need the most is to be heard and believed. And um, it's so important to hear, listen, truly listen and believe. Um, it's not your job to pick it apart. It's not your job to cross-examine. It's not your job to ask questions about, you know, why they did things the way that they did it. If they're coming to you with something that they really have had struggled for a long time, probably to tell anybody, mm. your butt down and listen to what they have to say. Yeah. Right. They, need to, they need to be heard. Yes, yes, I agree. Thank you. Bing Pei, did you have anything that you would like to leave us with? Well, I just want to thank all of you because I, I myself heard so much today, especially Jennifer, when you were going over the historical parts and then your knowledge with being in the courtroom. And I would just want to say that um, it, it may be scary to some people to be um, a forerunner in their religious sect or in their culture to uh, kind of be on the forefront of yeah. uh, forming new mindsets, but it's worth it. And somebody's got to stand up and stand out and kind of break away from from the uh, the norm in order to have a more peaceful world and to have uh, women be able to live in that equality and not live in fear of, of yes. being assaulted and of having to uh, stay quiet when they have been violated, so. Yes, and that's where we come in, right? Right. When that person is a you know comes out and, and says something, that's where we, as as the village, come in and say, okay, I'm gonna wrap my arms around you and stand yeah. with you um, as you tell your story. And that's and that's where we need to, you know, a good takeaway is that we have to wrap our arms around each other. And as you said, Jen, you know, hear, listen, believe, and fight for them. You know, we can do that. We, we can use our voices and our platform. So again. Thank you so much. I could talk about this all day because it is such a, I mean, I, I myself have, have dealt with different things in different aspects in my life. So it's personal to me. And I feel like, you know, um, people uh, going through any type of violent relationship or violent uh, scenario or, you know, um, different um, thing in life, you know, we have to believe them. We have to hear them. We have to support them. It's really important. So this is very, this is really close to me. So thank you guys again for taking your time. Jen, keep doing that work. You Absolutely. know, 
every day until I die. (laughs) I just, I think that's incredible. And, you know, me pay you too. I mean, just keep spreading that that knowledge that you have. And Jennifer, thank you so much for what you share because people need to know the history. People need to know that this has been going on. So I think sometimes it'll kind of like, you know, trigger something like, wow, this has been going on that long. Maybe we need to really do something about it. And that's in a lot of different aspects, you know? Um, So anyway, you guys have a great evening. Thanks again. And we're going to help people to stop asking that question, but what was she wearing, right? (laughs) Amen. Yes. Well, you guys have a great, great night. Um, I love you all. Thanks so much for your your time. You guys have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you. you. Bye-bye.